Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. We're going to look back at the Texans stuffing the Lions on Thanksgiving. Hallelujah for that. And the Rockets made some minor moves this week. We'll look at one of those. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, is it ridiculous to consider the Texans' playoff hopes with five weeks left? If they win out, they're 9-7. and seven. And don't forget, there's that extra team making the playoffs in each conference this year. Well, and you also, have, you know, if there's a way that the Texans could petition the NFL to quickly switch divisions, like they could go to the NFC East and, and easily win the division at this stage. Um, yeah, that's a possibility. <laughs> you know, and and I, on a more serious note, Robert, I mean, if you think about it, with with all the the day to day things with COVID going on and games being postponed, or you know, the NFL is probably not going to cancel games per se, but you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, honestly, the way a team could go nine and seven, and and anything could happen in the next few weeks. Now, my question for you, Robert, is as the Texans keep winning. Are you sure you don't want Romeo Cornell to come back next year? I mean, you know, they could make the playoffs, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure about Romeo. I I just feel like you got (laughs) Deshaun for, what, five years if he he decides he's going to stay around. What what I mean by decide to stay around, he's not going to demand a trade. They have him signed for five years where so he supposedly can't go anywhere. But, um, yeah, I I think you want to see a guy in that – the guy that's going to be the Deshaun – guru and and maybe bring out more from him and we're going to talk to Sean a little bit later but uh you know I I like Romeo I, I you know personally he's the most likable Texans head coach maybe of the of the group that they've had I mean Kubiak great guy you know super nice guy Don Caper super nice guy Romeo he's he, he appears to me to be a little bit more fun though right <laughs> Well, it, it certainly does, and I think even the whole team seems to have loosened up since he took over as interim head coach. And I've always said, you know, your your employees, or in this case, your team, is an extension of your leader. And ever since Romeo's come aboard, the, the guys are certainly playing much more loose than they were when Bill O'Brien was there. So, yeah, I, I absolutely have to agree with you about the personality aspect of Romeo. And for whatever it's worth, let's look at the remaining schedule, because... You know, oh, went out. What are you talking about? Well, they've got the Colts at home, Bears at home, Colts on the road, Bengals at home with no Joe Burrow, and Titans at home. And if you look at the remaining schedule and who the quarterbacks are, the Texans are playing against Ryan Tannehill, an ancient Phillip Rivers, Nick Foles, and somebody named Brandon Allen, it appears. Uh, Except for Tannehill, the Texans not only have the advantage at quarterback and the edge, there's a slight possibility they can go into that last game against the Titans with a shot uh, at, at the playoffs and home field advantage. Um, what a crazy turn of events that could be, but you know, it's the Texans. So I'm just taking it one game at a time, you know, the old saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the Texans and it's also 2020, Robert. I mean, what other year would you expect something like this to happen? Right. And you know, it, it's easy to say, look, the Texans are playing easier opponents. I mean, they, they did get behind early in the Lions game and came back, of course, and made it look easy, I guess, later on. But the, the types of opponents they played, yeah, they've they've been able to get momentum because the schedule has certainly been a lot easier, and it, 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 at least on paper, is going to be easier than the first four games or so of the season, but you know what? You take what you can get. And sometimes it just takes a little momentum. It takes a coaching change perhaps. And the team is catching fire there. As I said, they're certainly playing more loose and playing better on the whole, you know, even the defense I think is playing better than it had certainly in the first few games of the season. So it's just not inconceivable to think about. And at least it gives you some hope, right? I mean, if you're going to go, through the rest of the season and watch the Texans play. If they can keep winning, you've got to have some kind of hope and some kind of motivation to keep watching too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's what Deshaun is. Deshaun is hope. And I, I want to get into what Deshaun is doing this year, but let, let's go through a little bit of the lions game and 
how in the world did this defense come up with turnovers on three straight possessions in a single game that caused a grand total of five turnovers all year before this game? Well, I was going to say, maybe it's just a regression to the mean because uh, I forgot how many games was it like the first four or five games that they didn't even have a turnover at all dead last in that category. So they're definitely making up for lost time. And, and, you know, even some of the turnovers have been uh, quite exciting to see when you see JJ Watt do a pick six, you know, things are getting crazy. And it's, it's just, that was awesome because we've talked about how JJ just hasn't been JJ, but when you just, when you, when you think he's down and out, he comes through with a big play, but it, it is interesting how the defense has played well the last couple of weeks, especially after, you know, Anthony Weaver, and, and rightfully so, has taken some criticism, I guess, about some of his schemes and just the way the defense has played. But as we talked about, Robert, it's also about the level of talent. But maybe sometimes it's, it's just a matter the guys play together long enough. You know, maybe they had a fire lit under them after all this, and they've came back and come back and played so much better. Uh, J.J. Watt pick six looked like retro Watt. I half expected Connor Barwin and the Ninja to come running out on the field and give him a hug. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. And it's uh, and it just it was great to see J.J. because he's he's gone through so much. And now there's, you know, trade talk about him. So the fact that he could get a pick six and, you know, while the Lions did come back and take a lead later in the game, honestly, I think it was the turning point. I think it it definitely jumpstarted the Texans got him to come back and it, it just it, it couldn't have happened at a better time when the Texans really needed something like that to happen. And that's just great to see JJ do that because we didn't know if we were going to see that again out of JJ. We don't know if we're going to see that ever again out of him and to do it on Thanksgiving on an, on a national stage. I mean, it was, it was so sweet and it just, he makes it look so easy. Those defensive line interceptions he just makes that look so easy. It's it's crazy. Like, I've never seen anybody else do that in NFL history. Well, and, and don't forget, the week before, he almost could have had a pick six as he deflected a pass, and I think it almost landed in his hands, but then it was deflected from him. So he almost could have had two weeks in a row of a pick six, or certainly an interception anyway. Man, think about that. But, hey, the one he got, the Texans will certainly take it. Let's get into the reason for hope when you talk about this team and Deshaun Watson. And if you look at the offensive drives, boy, he was fantastic again. 318 yards, four touchdowns, sixth straight game without an interception. Farrell Brown penalties killed two drives. Whoever Farrell Brown is, we're still trying to figure that one out. Uh, Deshaun might have had more than 34 points on offense. C.J. Procise didn't help by fumbling away a possession after the turnover. And then Brown and Procise... These are two guys that should have never even stepped on the field this year, and, and they're they're the ones that are kind of killing you a little bit out there. But, Stephen, outside of Deshaun slightly overthrowing an open Jordan Akins in the end zone on one of the drives, he was outstanding. Yeah, and the last few games, Robert, I think we're starting to see who the real Deshaun Watson can be because I know you and I have asked this question on more than one occasion in the podcast is, who is the real Deshaun Watson? I mean, we, we've seen flashes of definitely of, of magic and what he can do. But the question really has been, can he do it consistently? And these last few games, he has certainly done that. And, and to me, a big number that you just quoted, and it was actually one I had too, that you know we didn't compare notes before the podcast, was the six straight games without an interception. That's huge because, you know, as we know, turnovers make the difference in a game, whether you win or lose. And the fact that you've got your quarterback that has not only become more accurate, he's getting the ball out faster, but he's not making the throws that can result in interceptions and being a difference maker on the negative side of the game. That's huge. And, and you know, if, if Deshaun can just keep this up and, and, and keep doing that and, and certainly keep the interceptions down, then your offense has a chance, especially when you consider if the, the running game is the weak link of the offense consistently as it has been throughout the season, then you're going to need Deshaun to keep doing that magic to give him a chance. And that was one of the big questions about Deshaun coming out of college was the interceptions. He he did have a lot of interceptions at Clemson. It wasn't something that you thought, oh, this is definitely a guy that's an accurate passer coming out of college. So yeah, that's a big deal. And, and I'm just 
kind of curious. Uh, this is a question for you, Stephen. Think about this one for a second. Where would you guess Deshaun's passer rating ranks him among the NFL quarterbacks going into Sunday's games? And just a reminder to our listeners that we're recording this prior to Sunday's slate of games. And Stephen, I'm going to take out two guys who are ahead of him since neither are regular starters at the moment. Dak Prescott is ahead of him, but he's out for the season. Former Texan Ryan Fitzpatrick ahead of him, but two is considered the starter now, even though this particular Sunday, uh, because of an illness, Ryan Fitzpatrick starting again. So where do you think, if you take out, take out those two guys, where do you think Deshaun ranks on the ESPN quarterback ranking system? Well, I was going to say fourth initially, but somehow I, I'm getting the feeling that it's a bit higher, especially if you took uh, take those two guys out that you just did. No, it, it's actually lower. I mean, I'm going to go to another system that has him ranked higher than this one, but according to the ESPN system, he's ranked number seventh. Patrick Mahomes is number one. Not not a shock there. Aaron Rodgers, that guy's pretty good, number two. Drew Brees, I don't know if we're going to see him again this year. I, yeah, I, he's I, out. I could have taken him out of the equation. But, you know, he's played almost every single game until as we're talking. I think it might be was the second week now that he's missing in a row. Right. right. Um, then you have Derek Carr. There's a shock. Uh, wow. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, Josh Allen, which everybody forgets about him because he's up in Buffalo, but yeah. quietly having a fantastic year. And then the guy just ahead of him is, is Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. So that's the list hmm. ahead of Deshaun right now. Okay. Well, I, you know, like I said, I was, I thought I saw something where it might've been in another category where I think he was fourth, but he, and, you know, being in the top seven and then you have, like I said, if you take Breeze out, that, that could move him up a bit depending on what happens. So, uh, you know, Deshaun is, is quietly doing what Houston fans have known Deshaun can do since he got here. And that's one of the big reasons that you're seeing the Texans have a two game winning streak at this point. <laughs> The big surprise for me is he's had a head of Russell Wilson. Uh, he's second in yards per attempted pass and yards per catch behind only Kirk Cousins. That's a name I wasn't expecting to see in that category, but Cousins throws the ball down the field a, a lot, just like Deshaun apparently. And if you look at the NFL pro football reference ratings, and don't ask me the difference in how they calculate this compared to ESPN, but Deshaun is ranked third in that one, third in the league behind just Mahomes and Rodgers. And maybe... I don't know, Stephen, maybe that's the one that you would consider the more accurate one because uh, Derek Carr, I, I don't know about Derek Carr being ahead of him. That's the one that I'm going, what? Yeah, that one definitely jumped out at me. And, and hey, if you're a Texans fan, you'll you'll take the third any day. Uh, that That's probably the one that you want to go with. So, yeah, I, I mean, every system, it, it's just like ranking players in anything, really is uh, all these different services are going to have their own and they're not going to be exactly alike. Otherwise, why do you need more than one? So every system is probably going to have their formula, <laughs> if you can call it that. And it, it gives us good fodder, though. We, we can take pot shots at them. We can praise them. So yeah, it's kind of good that it's out there. Yeah, if you look at those zero interceptions he's had in the last six games, remember he's also had 15 touchdowns. His 23 touchdown passes so far this year, are the most for any Texans quarterback in the first 11 games. Meanwhile, Will Fuller, we got to talk about him. Six catches, 171 yards, two touchdowns in the Lions game. And Stephen, why couldn't we have this healthy Will Fuller the last few years? Can you imagine this Fuller with DeAndre Hopkins? Man, oh man, just when Fuller gets healthy, he probably walks in free agency. Yeah, that's the one thing that I kept thinking about too, Robert, is imagine if the Texans hadn't traded DeAndre Hopkins, you have a fully healthy Will Fuller, a full Fuller, I guess you could call him, um, you know, and you keep knocking on wood, as I do that right now, that he can stay that way the rest of the season. Just imagine, you know, and, and of course the tight ends, some pretty decent tight ends, that Deshaun has the weapons to throw to. So, you know, the Texans offense might even be in better shape. This is interesting. Did you know that Fuller and Cooks are both on pace for 1,000-yard seasons? That would be a first in Texans history, 2,000-yard receivers in the same season. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, it's certainly not surprising that Fuller would be in that category, but Cooks, um, he's quietly mature, uh, emerged, I should say, especially in the last few weeks to get to that point. And, you know, I mean, you think about DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Andre Johnson, you know, certainly the, the two best Texans wide receivers that they've ever had. 
It is interesting, though, that, that yeah, that, that could be a first if it happens this year. Yeah, Andre was kind of washed when DeAndre came on the scene. Right. So I think Andre had a good year that first year, maybe, that DeAndre uh, was picked in the draft. And then uh, and then DeAndre was still you know learning the, the biz. And then all of a sudden, DeAndre jumps out and is incredible. And Andre falls off that cliff. Um, the Texans even had a trick play, speaking of Will Fuller, that worked for a touchdown. Has that ever happened? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think about a, a play like that before. And what's interesting about that play is that uh, you're, you're referring to the Duke Johnson throwing it back to Deshaun, who throws to Fuller. And, uh, you know, Johnson had actually told Deshaun that if, if the defense was going to gang up, then he might just go ahead and keep it. And it looked like he was going to do that. That play developed rather slowly. I mean, it's, to me, it's amazing that the Lions didn't figure it out, but I guess it's that's one of the many reasons they're the Lions, and they fired their head coach after the game. They don't figure it out because the Texans never try to trick play. That's why they don't figure well, it out. Well, no, but I'm just saying that as long as that play took to develop, it's amazing that it could still happen the way it did, that, that Johnson had the time to get it back to Deshaun and for him to make the play, and Fuller is just, you know, standing out there waiting for the ball. That's what was so amazing and fun about that play and the best part is it worked yeah Deshaun throws two touchdowns to running backs in this game too and that short one to Procise, not a big deal for me but the 33 yarder to Duke Johnson that's a big deal because it's about time they take advantage of him in the passing game I thought that's why Bill O'Brien was making the trade because Duke could go out and grab you passes as a running back help out Deshaun in that way um, it's the biggest reason a lot of us were enthused when they traded for Duke. Well, that's exactly right. And we kept waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. And I and I think it's something to, to think about. And I think this was uh, – there was an article in the Chronicle about this very thing. And that is the emergence of Tim Kelly finally calling plays that you and I and so many Texans fans have been sitting around waiting for and even dialing up that trick play – it, it sounds to me, from what I've been able to, to read, that that was a Kelly thing. In fact, I, I don't even think Romeo knew what the play was called, if it even had a name, that, that it was Kelly who dialed it up. So we're starting to see these types of calls from Tim Kelly, and it just makes you wonder, Robert, and, and it's really, I, I guess the question is easy to answer, is why Tim wasn't doing this before? Well, because Bill O'Brien still probably had his hands in the offense, no matter what he was telling everybody. And now that he's gone and, and Kelly is finally being able to open up the offense, we're starting to see plays like more tosses to Duke Johnson and to Procise and the trick plays. So that, among as, as much as Deshaun's magic, has certainly broadened the Texans' offense and made it look not only more executable but exciting to watch. All right, well, I got the quote for you on, on what you just said because Deshaun said after the game about Romeo Cornell, quote, just letting us play ball, letting the coaches make calls and not interfering with that, unquote. Hmm. Stephen, passive-aggressive shot at the previous <laughs> head coach. Surely he's not taking pot shots at Bill O'Brien. Come on, Deshaun doesn't do that, right? Well, the, again, not only just the, the freedom to play, but, but the freedom to speak. I mean, how many times have you heard Deshaun make comments of any nature like that while Bill O'Brien was still the head coach. I can't think of one. Well, since he's been gone, Deshaun has you know, made a couple of statements. I mean, he talked about the trade deadline and how, no, that's not going to happen. You know, and, and, I mean, Deshaun wouldn't say something like that if B.O.B. was still the head coach. So, yeah, not only freedom of movement as far as the players playing, but uh, maybe the Texans are finally executing, you know, the First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, too. I don't know if this stat matters from Thursday, but Tyrell Adams, 17 tackles, 14 solo. Should I make anything of that? Well, why don't you throw in uh, help to cause two forced fumbles, too, in, in that. And every week we've been saying about Tyrell Adams, at least I know I have, the last few weeks, he's just getting better and better and better. And with Bernardrick McKinney being out, you know, here's a guy that has definitely stepped in that you wouldn't have thought about and has been a, a very pleasant surprise for the Texans' defense. And, you know, the Thanksgiving Day game just cemented that for him. I'm not sure Tyrell Adams is a exceptional athlete. I sometimes worry about his size and his speed, and it's one of the issues where I th think the Texans suffer 
on run defense, but that's, uh, there's a number of things going on there. Um, but I do feel like he's not a whole lot different than Bernard McKinney. That's why I just feel like Bernard McKinney, we've seen the last of him. Well, I think you're right. And if at the very least, you're not going to go out and spend big money to try to keep a guy like Bernard McKinney. You could certainly put a Terrell Adams in there and get what you get. And, you know, you may be right, but the guy is making tackles. He's making plays and uh, the full scheme of things. That's really what matters. Now, the question is, can he do it consistently over a period of years, you know, to make the Texans have that kind of confidence in him? That That's really the big question for me. Since the Thursday game, the Texans make a move. Kenny Stills is gone. So Bill O'Brien basically traded. Let's get this straight now. He traded this year's second round pick, which, you know, it might be high. It could be middle of the first round, but it's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood for 25 games of Kenny Stills, Stephen, a total of 51 receptions. He's making he was making seven and a half million dollars. He is an expensive guy that wasn't catching a lot of passes that cost you a cheap second round pick. What's your favorite Kenny Stills moment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it, the handwriting was pretty much on the wall, at least for me, Robert. Over the last few weeks, I mean, you hardly saw anything of Kenny Stills. So I, I think it was just a matter of time that that was going to happen. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, the Texans aren't waiting around for a new GM and a new head coach to make these moves. And uh, Kenny Stills, uh, yep, another casualty of Bill O'Brien's trades. There you go. I talked about the couple of drive killers that they had in this game. Pharaoh Brown, uh, Procise. I said Deshaun was great. There was the first possession which the Texans are not good at the first possession we know that that's that's uh you can write that one down in stone but um Howard and Tunsil terrible protection on his sack Titus Howard he 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 has good moments but I want to see better from Titus Howard I mean it's year two um I I think he's got the talent to to be a really good a really solid right tackle I I wish I saw a, a, a little bit more consistency from him but he had a couple of real bad moments in this Lions game. Yeah, he certainly did. And we, I guess, you know, the old show to tell the truth. Will will the real Titus Howard please stand up? We're we're still waiting for that to happen. And, you know, he's he makes some crucial mistakes and he's had some injury problems, but all we can do is just to keep hoping that Titus will will get better and, and cement that line because, you know, outside of Tunsil, I mean the line has just been so up and down. You know, and even Tunsil's had his moments too, but he, he certainly is the left tackle that the Texans have been hoping for for the most part. But yeah, Titus Howard definitely needs to get better because the, the Texans line has just not been consistently good for, gosh, I don't even know how long. I'm, I'm afraid to ask how long it's been. Yeah, I, I criticized the tackles on on, on that, that play and, you know, it just wasn't their best game as far as the tackles were concerned. But the biggest concern with the running game and figuring that out, I think that's guard issues. And again, that's something that they're going to have to address in the off season. I, I've got some depressing news for you. If you're a Texans fan since day one. And when I say depressing, you're going to get what I'm talking about in just a second. This week, original Texan Jabbar Gaffney turns 40 years old. Wow. Jabbar Gaffney. Gosh, I haven't heard that name in a long time. wonder what he's doing now. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, second-round pick for the Texans. Uh, never lived up to it. Florida kid, University of Florida. Um, just I, I never did see the intangibles that would have made them pick him in the second round. But, boy, Dom Capers uh, was left with a lot of crap for some good drafts that, frankly, Casserly blew. Was there anything else from this Texans game or big picture you wanted to hit on? Not that I can think of, although I, I know that we've had some criticism of Max Sharping, uh, but he did make a good block on that trick play that, uh, that it, you know, it certainly allowed the play to develop too. So the, the play flicker you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So that has to be, and you know, we, we try to look for positives anywhere on the Texans offensive line that we can, but that, you know, the, the Texans, while they're beating up on the bad opponents, cause now they've, caused a team to uh, fire their head coach. Momentum is momentum, and they've got the Colts, and that's certainly going to be a winnable game, especially the way they've been playing. So we just have to keep hoping that they'll keep that momentum going and just 
surge their way into the playoffs, Robert, like you hoped for at the very beginning of this podcast. You talk about sharpening. I'm I'm just glad to see that he's playing because I want to see him get some snaps and see what you've got in him long term. The next coaching staff is going to have to do some evaluating, and you can't do evaluating on Max Sharping this year if he doesn't see the field. So that that's a good sign for me that he's out there, even though I know they might not think he's as good as Kelamete, and Kelamete's been uh, injured recently. I, I just think it's good to see Sharping out there. Yeah, absolutely. And you just hope that that he, Titus Howard, you know, some of these younger guys can really just start being more consistent. I mean, that's what it has. You, you show, you see flashes from him, but consistency is the name of the game. And it, if the Texans line is going to improve, pass blocking or run blocking, those two guys have got to step up and just be more consistent. Just glad that we had two fun Texans games to talk about over the last couple of weeks. I, I hope this continues. Meanwhile, the Rockets, their biggest news this week was the signing of 30-year-old Boogie Cousins for his career, 21 points, 11 rebounds. You're like, wow, you know, a veteran's minimum, you get this guy. But, you know, not to mention four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA player. You know, the bad news, though, is nearly three years ago, he tore his left Achilles. Ironically, that happened against the Rockets, if you remember. And then a year and a half ago, he tore the ACL on the same leg. He's missed all of last year has played in 78 games the last three years. Steven, throw all that in with the fact that he's not exactly known as a Mr. Effort, Mr. Team guy. No, he certainly isn't. I mean, he's had some incidents with coaches in the past where his attitude has come into question. You know, and the first thing I thought about when when I saw that the Rockets had signed him is, huh, you put him on the same team with James Harden, who seems to have difficulty playing with a lot of people or just doesn't want to. <laughs> then you throw Boogie Cousins into the mix. I mean, you know, before the injury started taking effect, he he was a good shooter. He's at least from three-point range. He was 35%, decent enough. But, you know, the big question marks, of course, are his attitude and the injuries that have plagued him of late. But, I mean, I, it's a low-risk deal. It's a one-year deal, and I believe it's non-guaranteed, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like the Rockets are taking a huge flyer on him. If he could just come in and, and be a decent surprise and shore up with Christian Wood, maybe they can make a good combination. Then that's really all you can hope for, I'd say, at this point. I'm going to state the obvious. I think it's the obvious for Rockets fans. But all you're expecting from him is maybe 12 to 15 minutes a game. Christian Wood, I believe will still be the starting center. Uh, P.J. Tucker, I know there's thought that they might deal him because P.J. is upset about not getting an extension beyond this year. But if you're going to have a ticked-off Harden sticking around and a ticked-off Westbrook, you might as well have a ticked-off P.J. Tucker sticking around too. So I I, I feel like with Boogie, that's all you're expecting 12 to 15 minutes a game. And, And he's a guy that gives you that versatility that we have talked about as somebody that you can play if you need to get a big guy out there, if another team has a big center. That's what I'm – what are you expecting from him? Because that's what I'm expecting from Boogie this year. That's well, it. that that's kind of the th- same thing I'm expecting from him too. And just, again, we, we were just wondering, you know, what kind of player are we getting from him? More consistency it would certainly be the key. You know, and all those names you just mentioned who have chips on their shoulders, Robert, can you imagine what the Rockets' locker room would be like with those guys if they're in place – and they get off to a bad start. I don't. I don't think. I, I don't envy anybody who'd be covering the team, much less having to be around the team if uh, you know the the gloom starts falling over the log- Rockets' uh, locker room. If they get off to a lousy start, and you got two guys that essentially want to be traded. You got uh, guys that are upset over their contracts, and yeah, the the Rockets really need to get off to a good start, not just for that reason, but just to to build some momentum and maybe quiet some of this stuff that's been going on during the off season. Also, you got to remember about Boogie Cousins. Go back to August of 2019. TMZ had a video of Cousins allegedly threatening to kill his girlfriend. He had a misdemeanor domestic violence charge and third degree harassing communications charge dropped after that incident, but not that great of a look. And he also threatened a reporter back in the day and, and in the Sacramento Kings locker room. This was three years ago after the reporter uh, had a story about Boogie's brother um, that Boogie did not like. And if you're a Rockets fan, you hope he's been humbled by the last three years with everything that's happened. But he's not exactly 
a good guy as far as just in a human being sort of sense. He's kind of Boogie Osuna. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, there's a combination. I That's that's pretty clever, Robert. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, if Daryl Morey were still here, here's my question for you. If Daryl Morey were still the GM, would that transition have taken, uh, transaction, I should say, would that have taken place, do you think? That I don't know. I don't know what Daryl would have done differently. You, you kind of have to wonder. I don't know if you if you've thought about this, Stephen. I wonder if Daryl and Rafi were putting together this game plan for the offseason, and Rafi's kind of carrying out what Daryl did because you figure that's something that this this is the type of stuff that gets discussed for months and months prior to an offseason. That could be true. Uh, that that might be an element, but uh, and of course we'll never know the answer. But it just occurred to me that you know with the change in management, change in coaches, it just kind of makes you wonder. I, I don't know. I'm kind of leaning toward the fact that Daryl might not have made that deal based on a lot of the things you just said. But then again, you know, the Rockets have had some questionable players in the past. Ty Lawson being one of them that you thought maybe he could turn things around. He didn't. So really, that's the best you can hope for for Boogie, that he at least makes a positive contribution and not a negative one to the Rockets, both on and off the court. Yeah, he, his career is one of the huge what ifs with the injuries and just the fact that you know he didn't always seem all that motivated he went to a king's team where if you're not motivated it, it doesn't help to go to a franchise that's in disarray most of the time uh you know speaking of daryl by the way did you see that daryl morey said uh, this past week that an nfl team reached out to him to possibly be a general manager this was prior to him getting the Sixers job, wonder who that could be. Huh? Yeah, you see, I wonder. I, I, first thing I thought of is, oh, well, they could have kept it local and just hired Maury, you know, to be the Texans general manager. <laughs> but it's interesting. I, you know, when right after he resigned, I had seen some things where he was quote unquote considering NFL jobs, and then this pops up again this week. So yeah, that that definitely did raise my eyebrows again. Right, and uh, you know. I would have to think it was either the Rockets or the Falcons because those were the two general manager jobs that were open in the NFL at this point. And I think for him to throw that little nugget out there, it's not a team. He wouldn't have said that if it was a team that has a GM employed. I don't think he would have thrown that out there. No, probably not. You meant the Texans and the Falcons, right? Yeah. What, who did I say? The Rockets? Right. You said the Rockets. You, you meant the Texans. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, I didn't even think about the Falcons, but yeah, that's a good point too. And I, I want to bring something else up because the thing that's just so frustrating about the Houston sports teams at this point is the owners are so... They're so disliked in Houston. Now, maybe you can say Jim Crane isn't as much, but I, I, I personally don't find Jim Crane all that lovable, and I can't dismiss him from everything that's happened with the Astros as far as you know, hiring a guy like Luno and how the organization was run. And it's, I don't know, Stephen, it's incredibly frustrating to me that you have three owners that you, at this point, have little to no confidence in. Now, Crane, it's more about um, the way he runs things and how straight and narrow he runs things. But with the other two guys, it's it's much more than that. And and, and with Tillman, it's, you know, is he going to spend the required amount of money? And is he chasing away somebody like a Daryl Morey or, or good people? Um, and so, you know, that's... And with Cal McNair, can I ask you this question? Does Cal McNair... Does he actually like football? Do you think he watches football? Do you think he watches anything on television about football? I don't know if he likes or dislikes, but I, I kind of want, you know, how much the guy knows about football. That That's really my big question with Cal McNair. How much knowledge does he have about football? None. To be able to make, yeah, to be able to make some of the decisions he makes. And that I think, Robert, is, that's the biggest worry for me, especially when it comes to the Texans. I mean, I think... With the other two owners, yeah, I don't know how much does Jim Crane know about baseball in in the sense of knowledge. But the difference there, especially among the diehard fans, is what those three owners have brought you. And like it or not, 
you know, whether the Astros cheated their way there or not, whether you like Jim Crane or not, Jim Crane brought the Astros a World Series. End of story. And, and for some fans, that's all that matters to them is, hey, he brought us a championship. I don't care whether they say it's tainted or not. Now, in the case of Cal McNair, and even in the case of, uh, you know, Tillman Fertitta, totally different personalities, I, I think you, you certainly see more passion out of Tillman Fertitta. Sometimes, yeah, it's probably misplaced. Maybe he speaks a little too much. But, you know, Les Alexander, I, I don't know that he was really the most well-liked owner. He kind of kept in the background. You didn't hear a lot about him. But guess what? He was responsible for bringing the Rockets two straight championships. What worries me about the Texans, especially with Cal McNair, and the fact that if he doesn't know much about football, is what kind of decisions is he going to make in hiring people around him that do know about football? And if if the Texans are just going to continue, you know, look at the Detroit Lions. I mean, how many years have the Lions kept trying and trying and trying? They they fired Matt Patricia. They fired Bob Quinn. And, and it just leads me to believe that a lot of the reasons that these teams stay mediocre at best is the ownership continues to make bad decisions as far as the kind of people they hire. They may not be bad football people, but are they the right people for that organization? Are they the right fit? And that is my biggest concern, especially with the Texans coming in. They're going to have to hire a new coach. They're going to hire a general manager. Are they going to hire the right people? Otherwise, we're going to continue to keep talking about the Texans being a down team for the next few years, Robert. Yeah, I mean, you just said, does Cal McNair know know about – no, he doesn't. Does he know to hire – no. We, we, the, the answer to all this stuff is no, 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 no. And what is just confounding to me, either start talking to people and find somebody that can give you good advice – and maybe if you don't know something about about a particular subject, it's hard to find somebody that knows something because you don't know what to ask. But with Cal McNair, it is flat obvious. Like this guy, I don't think he knows anything about football. He obviously doesn't watch a television set. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't watch, he doesn't listen. Like the dumbest football fan knows these moves that he's made are terrible and 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 the stuff that bill o'brien was doing was terrible the dumbest football fan knows that the dumbest football fan knows that you don't hire a pastor to as your next head coach that knows nothing about personnel that knows nothing about any of this stuff the dumbest football fan can figure all this stuff like cal mcnair you know he he, he doesn't like being the guy the face of the franchise because you don't hear him come out and say you know, anything like this is what I think about the last time we heard from Cal McNair. Correct me if I'm wrong. Have we heard from him since he talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and had that weird video that came out this summer? That was it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, as far as him making public statements, I mean, you can count maybe two fingers and that's it. And, you know, the other concern, Robert, is that there's nobody else in the Texans organization that knows enough about football to make that kind of a hire. So it's not even the just the owner. I mean, who else in the Texans organization could even go to Cal McNair and saying, look, you know, this is what I think we need to do. And it'd be the, the wise decision. Well, that's my point exactly on Cal is yeah. what I just said is like, hey, the this is a guy that like if, if you don't know about it, you got to go find somebody. But how do you find somebody if you don't know the questions to ask and what to say? You would hope. You know, maybe he could go to some of the other owners, but you can't go to the other owners because they don't want to help you out. So sure. who, who, who is who is going to be the be somebody that steps forward there? And it's just like, you know, I, why do you own the team? Why would you want to be an embarrassment in your city? I just don't get that. I don't know what goes behind of like I, I, I own a football team. Well, that's great because everybody would love me. No, they don't like you. Nobody likes you. The, the city that you live in, people don't like you. They probably come up and say stuff to you like, what the hell are you doing? Maybe he lives in some sort of bubble and he doesn't hear that stuff. But, you know, you're constantly made fun of if you turn on the radio and listen to anything about the Texans or turn on the TV or whatever. So, like, I, I just don't know 
you know, why he's interested in this at all. To me, it's just like, I can't get into the psychology of what the hell's going on with Cal McNair. None of it makes sense to me. At least Bob, um, and, and people might not remember this, but during home games, he would go into the locker room after the game. And before he went into the locker room, the media would stop him and he would make a statement about, what was going on? Now, typically, he would talk more after a win. He might not talk after a loss, but th- there were times where Bob McNair would talk um, after a, a Texans game, and and that's never going to happen with Cal McNair. Even when the virus is over with, and you know people are around each, I don't think that's ever going to happen with him. He just seems to have no interest in this. It's like I don't know what this is for him, but you know, I guess there's some benefit. In the community, well, it's got to be financial, don't you think? I mean, it, it, what other interest could there be? I mean, perhaps the the fact is that Cal McNair inherited the team. It's it's I mean, financial, guess- but but like, wh- how does that change his life? He's worth billions. The family's worth billions. What, what is it, what is that going to change his life to to own a football team at this point? And if he sold it, how much do you think he could get for it? Like a ton. Well, he could. So yeah, it it does make me wonder. If if it's just financial only, well, he already had that to begin with. So what other reason is there for him to hold on to the team? I mean, that's been the question I've asked myself ever since the death of Bob McNair. I'll move on to what Astros thing from this past week. Did you notice the panic, Stephen, this week on Astros Twitter when there were rumors that Carlos Correa was on the market? <laughs> yeah. And isn't it funny how, you know, we've talked on this podcast previously about maybe the Astros should trade Carlos Correa. So yeah, when you start seeing the trade rumors jump about, of course, you know, it's not surprising. Twitter goes a buzz over everything and uh, the panic that that's, you know, Facebook and Twitter, they, they've got to be the, the two panic buttons that everybody goes to now. So I, it didn't really surprise me when that happened. And frankly, James Click's not doing his job if he's at least not on the phone with people. Now they're denying everything, which is what you should do. You want to keep Correa happy in case you decide to keep him, but you can't ignore his injury history and the back problems. We have no idea if he's ignored attempts at an extension by the Astros brass. We, we don't, we're not in the room. We don't know what's going on with the, his agency and, and, and uh, the Astros. And we need to assume that the Yankees are in play next year because Derek Jeter is his hero. If this was the stock market, you know, I'd frankly say let's sell high, but on the other hand, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate to myself He's the kind of player who can help carry you to a World Series. We just saw what he did. And if you project out beyond this coming year, the Astros may lose McCullers as well. So you don't want to just lose that window and not take advantage of the window where you have five really good starting pitchers. You've got this great all-world shortstop defensively, and he's, you know, in the playoffs, he was really good offensively this year. You know, you've got this good lineup. You got the whole package to to go to a World Series. So, you know, even if you're risking losing him for only a compensatory pick, it, it might just be worth, you know, not making the deal because you, you, the, this these opportunities where you've got a team with this much time, they just don't come along that often. No, they don't. And I think that that's really the question that, that James Click, I'm, I'm sure he's already answered it, but let's just say he's still mulling it over. Is this a win-now window or do we make these changes now and, you know, still keep most of the roster in place, but get something for Korea now while we can? You know, the, I mean, there just hasn't been enough of a sample size. There hadn't been enough time for James Click being in this office to, to know whether we should have confidence in him or not. But un- until he makes a major screw up, I'm going to trust his judgment in whichever the situation is. You know, he he worked for much less of a budget in Tampa Bay. No, he wasn't the main decision maker but he certainly was a big part of that with the Rays' success over the last few years. So until he screws it up, I'm just going to put my trust in James Click to do what he feels is best for the Astros, whether it be this year you know, or the following year when, when all this stuff may come into play. Last thing I wanted to hit on for this show, because there wasn't much else going on with the Astros this week, was the, you know, locally, college football. I mean, this thing is just, it's hard to get any sort of momentum locally for college football because the university of houston i've lost track of how many games that they've missed with the virus affecting things they've missed the last two weeks now no 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 football for the university of houston and rice uh boy steven you talk about about rice for a little bit they're the same deal worse even 
Well, worse. I, I think Rice has played, what, three games out of this whole season? And it's not because they were in a conference that didn't start until October or November. It's because they've had cancellation after cancellation. You know, and, and in most of these cases, Robert, it's been the other team. It hasn't been that, you know, it's not like U of H and, and Rice. And, you know, in the case of the Longhorns, they had uh, not this past week, but the week before, you know, they, they had a game postponed. It it was it, it was the other team. And, you know, and even in some cases with some of these games that have been called off, it was hours before kickoff. I mean, imagine as a player and certainly a coach too, anyone associated with a team, how frustrating it is that you're getting yourself all psyched up that you're going to play, especially if you've been off for a couple weeks. And then you find out the day before, hours before, nope, it's not going to happen. I mean, this has got to be the most frustrating thing in sports that I've seen in a long time. And, you know, if you're looking for a quote-unquote local or regional team to cheer for, well, right now, in the, in the case of football circles, it's Texas A&M. But, you know, they even had two games postponed, but they had a big win over LSU on Saturday. They're in the playoff chase. So, you know, you might have to hang on for the ride and, and hope the Aggies can take you there because that's the closest you're going to get in Texas at this point. Yeah, U of H seemed like they were on a roll for a little bit because they missed what well, they missed the first was it the first three or four games of the season? Right? Four games, I think, before they even played a game. Yeah, and then they got on a roll because then they played uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six weeks in a row, and they were good. And then uh, the seventh week they missed, and I can't remember if that was a bye week or a COVID week. Uh, then they played Tulsa. Uh, or they were supposed to play Tulsa. They were supposed to. Yeah, yeah. The Tulsa yeah. game this past week. So yeah, I, I think no, I think it's actually been the last two weeks that they missed. So they had they had that, right. that terrible stretch at the beginning, and then they, they've had the the bad one here. So what we, we talking about? What six? Is it six weeks? Six weekends? That it's got to be at least six. I mean, you're you're talking over half a season's worth of games, Robert. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that, that's insane. And if you look across the country, where other teams maybe not have had that many games called off, you know, but you have conferences like the Big Ten, Pac-12 starting late. I mean, you know, how does this whole playoff scenario really come into play? Yeah, the the major teams are still in it. You know, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, and, you know, like I said, you even have Texas A&M in the mix, that they've played enough games that they qualify. And let's be honest, I mean, U of H and Rice, they weren't going to qualify for that, but that's not the point. You know, they still could have gone to a bowl if they played well enough. It's just frustrating all the way around that week to week, you have no idea whether your team is playing or not. Yeah, it's it's nuts, but that's that's the year we've signed that's up 2020. for. Twenty <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. It's twenty twenty, baby. Yeah, and I and this is this is not gonna end anytime soon. I you know, that the the word is the vaccines are coming out, but they're going to medical workers, they're going to the elderly. They're not going to NBA teams and college basketball teams and NFL teams. And, and the general like masses. I mean, it's going to be a while before the general population sees this. And so, you know, that that's where it's it just the frustration just never seems to end. Yeah, they're talking maybe April, the spring at the soonest where it's going to be mass distributed. And I don't know where sports teams are going to line up in that mass distribution but uh, yeah, we're going to be a while and we're going to be dealing with this at least for the next uh, few months. And, you know, I hope everybody is, is doing okay out there, you and your family as well. But uh, uh, Stephen, that, that's all I got. The only other thing that I guess worth mentioning is, hey, one of the best players in the history of sports passed away this week. I know maybe the average American fan doesn't care, but Boy, Maradona was a hell of a soccer. That guy, yeah. I watched I watched him a little bit back in the day, and I got it. I was like, yeah, I don't have to know much about soccer as a little kid as I was watching him to know that, oh, yeah, I get it. I understand why this guy's awesome. Yeah, Diego Maradona, I mean, you certainly have to put him up there with the, the, the Pele's and the, the Messi's of the world, and you know that you're a great player. When your body gets to lie in state in the presidential palace, I mean, I did, you know, I, I guess most people do that, right, Robert? I mean, we do it in this country all the time. We, we bodies go to the White House and lie in state. <laughs> no, I mean, this guy was something else, and he was bigger than life off the field, which may or may not have contributed to his death. I mean, he was only sixty years old. He wasn't that old to begin with, but uh, 
he he played hard on the field and he played hard off the field. But, you know, regardless of what you thought of him as a person, absolutely one of the greatest soccer players ever, one of the greatest athletes ever in the world. Yeah, you said it perfectly. And yeah, heart, heart issues. You have to assume that potentially a, a, a real factor was the, you know, alcohol and drugs that he did consistently. I mean, it was a long, long, long time right. problem for him. So you have to figure that they, they might have, but it's a speculation, you know, with the heart issue, it could be anything. And he's, you know, he's 60 years old uh, for you and I, and you get up to there close to that age, you go, well, that's not that old. But if you're a 10 year old or a 14 year old, you're like, oh yeah, 60, he was old. <laughs> yeah, sure. And listen, I'm uh, I am pushing 60, Robert. I'll you know, I'll just go. I'm, I'm not ashamed to devote my age on this podcast. I'm uh, two years away from it. So, uh, you know, that's in my territory. And I certainly don't ingest drugs and alcohol and things like that. But it, it just makes you think, you know, how close you are. And sure, when I was a kid, even early 20s, 60, like, oh, my goodness, that's old. But, you know, in this day and age where people are supposed to be living longer, uh, it's it's really not that old at all. Well, I'm efforting a guest for this week, uh, so keep an eye out for that. Might have a guest related to one of the topics that we discussed, or one of the sports teams that we discussed in, in the show. We'll see if I can get that to happen. Um, but for sure, we're going to be back with you again uh, next week to talk about the latest Texans game and if there's anything new with the Rockets and the Astros. Rockets pretty much have filled out the roster, um, but that doesn't mean anything. They could still be making some trade moves or something like that. There's nobody of note uh, besides Boogie Cousin. There's some other guys that, you know, are just like, well, I don't even know if these guys are going to be in the rotation, but they have gotten younger. I will say that. I forgot to mention that. They've gotten a lot younger uh, this offseason. Um, before we close things out, as we always do, just want to remind you to let us know what you think through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. And as always, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.